Well, hello and welcome to episode 135 of the Childless Not By Choice podcast. My name is Sevilla Morgan. My mission is to recognize and speak to the Childless Not By Choice women and men around the world, reminding you that you can live a joyful, relevant, fulfilled Childless Not By Choice life. And whether you are childless or not, thank you for tuning in. What is today's show about? It's about the empty cradle. But before I continue, let me say a great big thank you to my Patreon contributors. I would like to take a moment to thank the people who make a financial contribution to the platform on a monthly basis, my Patreon contributors. Your contributions help pay my podcast producer, my podcast host, Zoom, where I interview most of my guests. And so thank you very much for all you do. Thank you, Patreon, and thank you, patrons. Well, I have a guest, and I'm so excited because I know this person. Oh, I should say I know about her. I've heard her name. I know who she is. You know how you travel in the same circle as someone, but you've never really been introduced? You've never met, but you know the person exists? That's kind of how this is. And then one day, I came across her platform's intro video on YouTube, and I asked myself why I had never interviewed her. And I watched her video three times before I decided to ask if she would be a guest. And there's a link to the video in the show notes. I hope you will check it out. It really, it, it captured me and I just had to keep watching it over and over. And so I hope she doesn't think that's weird, but I just fell in love with the video. I am so happy. She said, yes, Sarah Roberts of The Empty Cradle. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And no, definitely not weird when something really touches you. It's really good to go back and circle back and you harvest each time, don't you, as you're watching something. Yes. Something yeah. new each time. So yeah. thank you for saying yes. And before we, we get going, before we continue, I know that you wanted to give an acknowledgement. So I just wanted to give you the time and space for that. Thank you. So I just want to start by saying thank you to you, Sabella, for inviting me into your ongoing conversational space for the Childless Not By Choice community, that you have long-term been a really powerful, really insightful voice where you've been able to hold really deep conversations about what it means to be childless, what it means to be human, and how we might find meaning and live those questions in our lives. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. I just wanted to acknowledge, and this is something we do um, in Australia, is I wanted to acknowledge the Yagara and the Turrbal people who are the traditional owners of the Brisbane region that I'm coming from. And I wanted to honour their ongoing connection to culture and to country. I also wanted to flag just really quickly that I'm coming from an Australian cultural context. So some things that I might say or concepts might not completely translate. So feel free to, to ask further questions if, if any clarifications needed. So um, thank you. You're welcome. And definitely. And tell me the names of those two peoples again, please. So it's the Yagara and the Turrbal people. Okay. Yeah. I'm, see, I'm already going left. <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> Feel free. But I guess, is that kind of like, and I never thought about it like this, but is this kind of like what it would be the Native American tribal yes. communities? It okay. Is. Yeah. So oh. it's the Aboriginal Australian tribal communities. So they were 
there were nations and then there were um, tribal groups within each of those nations oh. and uh, hundreds, hundreds of different language and cultural groups. And it's really important for us being very embodied living on this land. It's, it's quite important for us to recognise the history and the connection to the land that nurtures us. That is so beautiful. And I guess if the, the listeners like me, especially if you're from this side of the planet, I just learned something new. I, I guess I just never thought about it, but I just thought as Aboriginal people, they were one people group. Pardon my ignorance, but I just considered, you know, I just thought one people group and never thought about the fact that it would be like here in the United States where you have so many tribal nations with all of the different languages and, you know, just it's very similar, which absolutely makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it. So yeah, that's beautiful, the acknowledgement. Well, I wanted to get started right away. And I just wanted to, first of all, just ask you, because I am so intrigued because your background is in counseling, social work and child protection, youth work, drugs, alcohol, teaching HIV AIDS prevention, teaching the community education and community arts. I mean, the list goes on. So how and why did you make the switch from all of that? to the grief of childlessness and all of the things that come with our community? You know, that is such such a lovely question. And I have to say, I think it really was my personal lived experience, the real dark night of the soul that I had, which was about, I guess, my experience as a young woman, a, a really deep desire to be a mother. And for me, it was so embedded in what I thought was part of what was going to happen in this lifetime but it was it wasn't something that I ever ran around and sang it was more like it was it was like it was embedded into the landscape of my life and I met my partner in my early 30s and we started for to try for children in my mid-30s and as you know that's kind of the hot button years isn't it for us and we tried for 10 years and it didn't happen for us we went through fertility treatments and etc. We conceived and lost 12 children, which was that was a really, really tough time. And I guess what happened was that whole experience, I think, broke me. It actually felt like I remember in the last couple of years of that journey, I, I had this, I had this dream that was this repeating dream, which was me, I would wake in the middle of the night from a dream where basically I had walked into the sea. And basically was just being annihilated and I was disappearing. And it was never, it was never that I was actively suicidal, but I knew what was happening was that I was going through this slow death, which was an annihilation of who I was in the world, what I thought my life would be, how I expected my life to unfold. And of course, it was really invisible to the people around me, which was really similar to women of my generation where my mother had not been able to work. So when she got married, she had to leave the workforce. And so, and she also, her family came from a fairly poor background. They didn't have a lot of money. So she wasn't able to go to university. And she had this real burning desire within her as a feminist for, for women of our generation to be able to be educated, to be able to have a public role in the world. And I think what got lost in that transition was where did motherhood fit within that picture? I suppose for me then there wasn't a lot of talk in my younger years about motherhood and where would that fit in our lives. And it, it took probably, I had a pregnancy scare in my early 20s, which happens to a lot of us, which was contraceptive fail. And mm. 
it was actually during that waiting period and I was really fortunate in that I, I actually didn't, I wasn't actually pregnant at that point, so I didn't have to make any of those really complex choices. But what did land for me was it the desire for motherhood absolutely landed and I knew that at some point in my future that being a mother was, was really, really important to me. And so then when it didn't happen, I was, I kind of landed. It was like I was washed up on this shore with nothing but a whole lot of questions. And so then it was about going, why does this hurt so much? Why do the people around me, why can they not see this? Is there something wrong with me? Because I am so deeply broken by this experience. And I guess I knew what I was going through was grief, but, and then it was all about, you know, how do I navigate this grief? How do I get through this grief? And then what, what does a fulfilling life look like? Like, how do you get through this incredible despairing night of the soul? You know, what does the future look like, I guess? And I think I had probably thought that what I would do is I would, through this whole process, that I'd have this kind of revelation that something would happen where I would, you know, somehow the hand of God might reach down and actually give me a set of instructions and say, hey, <laughs> here's the meaning for that. And, and you know, here's your, here's your next plan. And here's how you're going to have this really meaningful alternative life. And of course, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It's much more about what Rilke talks about where we live the questions. So we ask those questions. And as we live through those questions, the questions kind of transform us. We might get some answers and then it often then brings up some new questions. And it's almost like a, it's like you kind of circle through and as you go through each layer, you're ready for new layers of, of meaning and probably new layers of revelation, I guess. So what I ended up doing is, is the main reason I actually started the empty cradle then was I went and sought out some therapy and, and sought out support from counselors. And, and what I found, which is really common for lots of women is, I went into the therapy room and, and just got bingoed. I got told, you know, that I dodged a bullet, that I was lucky. Being a mum's not all it's cracked up to be. All that that stuff that we cope with all the time. And it was happening in the therapy room. And, and I think that was the point at which I walked away and thought, we really need to be doing this work ourselves mm. and claiming this. And yeah, really a lot of the work that you're doing, which is to, to give that public voice to the experience and, and change change the culture, I guess. I really like that, that we need to be doing this ourselves. I love that. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'm typing it in right now for my notes. <laughs> we really need to be doing this ourselves. I, I love that because, yes, the, the your story sounds similar, except I never got married. I never met Mr. Wright, but yeah. all of the other similarities are there. Just, you know, people just, even the people that love you, just not understanding. Yeah. They love you, but they just don't get it. And I, I remember during that time saying, just imagine if you didn't have the children you have now, just waiting for the light bulb to go on. But in some cases, it still didn't go on. I'm like, no, I just don't know what else to say. <laughs> It's amazing. So yeah, so we get to create awareness and we get to it like in your space, you speak to us in the therapy room and you get it, you understand and you're not trying to tell people that they dodged a bullet. <laughs> no, there's not. And you know, it's really interesting you, you say that in the sense that a lot of the responses we get from people are really about their inability to kind of go there in terms of really understanding the depths of our journey and our story because it, it really is an existential crisis 
not not that everybody experiences it obviously lands really different for different women but for some of it's it's a very very deep crisis and what often happens is that we don't really understand what's the difference between for example a child-free woman who clearly chooses in a really legitimate way that that she doesn't want children you know people like us who for whom it is actually really important and that desire for motherhood is a really big desire and it's partly explained through the social context but it's not a complete explanation and so what happens is that that desire can get minimized and downplayed and so then there's this you know that's kind of the way that the grief then gets disenfranchised and it gets made invisible so and i don't know this may be an odd question maybe not but explain to us the social context of childlessness so this is really interesting in that all of us are kind of saturated in these this social environment that's very much about that the expectation can be that everybody becomes mothers or everybody becomes a parent and so this pronatal idea that to be an adult woman to be a grown woman is to be a mother and that that's the natural transition and really you know developmental psychology talks about that as being the normative transition and that somehow our journey is kind of the deviation from the norm and so at that starting point it's a little bit like if you think about maybe something like sexual identity where the norm is to be heterosexual but if you are same sex attracted that is somehow seen as a deviation rather than actually saying hey we have this continuum of what's normal which includes same sex attracted and opposite sex attracted and that there's this whole range of ways of what it means to be to be normal in the world and so then what happens is that we get quite othered so first of all there's the minimizing of the desire for motherhood and the loss and the grief that comes out of that so that gets disenfranchised and minimized and then the second part of the experience is then what it means to live as a childless woman and so this is where we can be devalued we can have a sense of shame like if somebody chooses to not have children it's like what's wrong with you that you would choose not to have children so it's where we then get othered and i guess one of the things that i've really noticed is that our stories are quite new you know in the last couple of decades we've started telling our stories and there's some really big social movements from people who have experienced othering that as childless people there's a lot that we can learn from the frameworks and the ways that people have really challenged you know those that dominant social structure really and there's quite a work a lot of work for us to do to to continue that shift and i think that's that's the point we as the childless not by choice people demographic we just want people to hurry up and understand at least i do let me speak for myself i wish people would just hurry up and get it already because we've been talking about it as you said for the last couple of decades but childlessness is nothing new we know it from hana which was the original name of my podcast 21st century hana and it still exists somewhere on the platform but yeah as i mentioned before we started recording i had a podcast producer who was a podcaster who also produced my podcast and one day he told me that you know savella most people don't know who hana was and i said you know you're absolutely right and so i changed the name of the podcast to childless not by choice which you know he said and this is known in the podcasting community try to get a title for your podcast where people could understand what your podcast is about and i wanted to be able to reach out to everyone not
not just I am a believer, I am a I am a Christian, but from day one, I wanted to reach out to all people because yes. all people are affected by childlessness. And so I don't lead with my Christianity. I may mention it from time to time. It is my foundation. <laughs> it's who I am. But I knew also that I wanted to be able to reach people and make sure that they felt comfortable on my platform, in my group. But I guess the whole point of this, what I'm saying is, childlessness is nothing new. Mm. It's been going on for since the time of Hannah, even probably before Hannah. For those of you, I'll put a link to who Hannah was in the in the show notes. But we, and I don't know if you feel the same way, we just want people to harp and understand what childlessness means, how we are treated in the world and how we feel we are treated and how we present ourselves in the world. We think we're normal and we are normal. We're human beings. <laughs> we're, we're all human. It's just that some of us got to be mothers and some did not. It doesn't make us any less of a human or less of a woman, which is, we can say that all day long, but honestly, I didn't start there. Mm -hmm. I felt less of a woman when I realized I was having all these female issues. And then on top of it, to have a hysterectomy, I struggled mm -hmm. with losing the part of me that made me a woman when I had to have the hysterectomy. So it's, there's just so much going on in our community. And then we just want people to understand it. And I guess my point is, and I guess my question is, how do you think we continue to get the word out and remain patient at the same time? Or do we remain patient? There's a couple of things in there that as you've, you've spoken about that come to mind. And it's fascinating, isn't it? Sense of how do you stay patient? How do you stay you know, in the face of ignorance and mm -hmm. quite frankly, the way the culture rises to greet us is actually quite traumatizing. And so I think it's part of the urgency for me is, I mean, it's partly about seeing the culture change, but it's actually also because we're seeing people being damaged and mm -hmm. we're seeing younger generations of women coming through. And how do we who... So, so when you talk about Hannah, I think about our lineage of women who've carried the wisdom and the archetype and the wisdom of what it means to be an involuntary childless woman. And I've talked about this a little bit on some of my video work where I, I see that there's four really sacred journeys into adult womanhood. And one of them is the journey of involuntary childlessness. And each of them carries part of the wisdom of the human story about what it means to be a woman. And when I look to, for example, Hannah in the Bible, like I think, wow, what was the journey of those women like in those different cultures and different eras? And how did they cope and how did they survive and flourish? And, and what wisdom could they have, you know, imparted to me? So I think back to, for example, at 35 or 40, and in my own family, I had an aunt who I knew when I was growing up called Aunt Lil. She was actually a great aunt. And she was the spinster of the family who lived with my grandmother. And looking back, she was not somebody who was really taken that seriously as somebody in the family who had a really rich personal life from whom we could have learned. But when I think of myself back in the day when I was in those, like I remember my 40th birthday and I just sobbed and sobbed for weeks. And the day of it was like, you know, my family made this beautiful effort to, to acknowledge my birthday and I just spent the day sobbing. It was, it was, 
it was quite sad really. But, um, you know, if I had had a great aunt who could have taken me under her wing and taken me aside and said, hey, I see your desire and how important this is for you and this grief is, is totally normal and here's some ways that you might be able to work through that. But also then to see her as a potential role model for how could you live how could you flourish as a woman who's living a, an involuntary childless life? And so for me, there's that really big story there around part of our pain and has been the experience of disconnection and how do we reconnect to, to our lineage and our heritage. And when you think about it, history and family histories tend to get told by the children and children tend to look to their parents rather than to aunts and uncles and childless people. So we kind of tend to get written out in a way mm-hmm. out of family histories. And part of what I've seen in your podcasts is, is asking the question of how do we become good elders? How do we become good ancestors? How do we pay it forward? And what are the lessons that we learn that we can hand on to the next generation to support women going through this experience? Because the essence of our experience is the essence of it is shame. And shame is all about disconnection. It's all about isolation. It's all about I'm not worthy enough to actually have a voice and to speak and to have a place in the town square. And because the culture is so shaming of us, it's like what Jodie Day says, where we're hidden in plain sight. Where mm. And I still have these conversations. For example, I went out to dinner a few weeks ago with some family members and an old family friend who's a little bit older, and she doesn't have children. And we were talking about my work. And for the first time ever, she, who had been friends of the family for decades, told her story. And it was just like women and men are just silenced and and how do we give permission for us to speak and have a voice and what is it that we have to offer so one of the things that i think is so important is if nothing else if there's nothing else you get about the childlessness story the starting place is a place of respect so how right. do you respect knowing that somebody has been through this dark night of the soul knowing how hard it's been and they're there standing in front of you this embodied lived experience, how do you start from a place of, wow, I don't know anything about that, but I respect that you're here and you've kept going and really honouring that journey. And then maybe thinking, you know, what could I learn from your experience? Because I think there's something that's really important, which I call the the childlessness gaze that we bring to the culture that is actually quite different from the parenting gaze or even the child-free gaze. It's, it's something that's a really important part of that human puzzle that we offer. You know, I was thinking about your aunt. Maybe the reason she didn't say anything was because she was silenced. She was shamed and she probably wanted to reach out, but Again, from that generation, because you said she was your great aunt, they were silenced and they were taught not to say anything yeah. about what they were dealing with and what they had been through. Yes. They just maintained the stoic. <laughs> yes. You know, and we thought they were fine, but yeah. there was a lot they just didn't say and maybe couldn't say. It's interesting and- you say that because I did have a conversation with somebody recently who was talking about previous generations. And she said to me, what is it about current generations where they just feel like they need to put words around everything and talk about everything. And, and I said to her, I said, do you, do you think that people in previous generations didn't suffer? And she said, oh, no, no, I'm quite sure that they went through their own suffering and sadness. And I said, so what you're saying is they essentially suffered alone. They suffered in silence. And she, and she said, yeah, I guess 
that's probably possibly what people did. It's it's a tricky balance, isn't it? Because it's also a question of I listened to your your conversation with Donald Ward, and it's also a question of what is it that friendships are able to hold, and are friendships able to hold even a piece of that that sadness? And and how do we rely on and connect and support each other and and hold the space for each other's stories? And you know we often have really busy, occupied lives, so it can be really tricky when we've got somebody who we care about who's going through a really transformative grief experience that, that can go over sometimes over years. Mm-hmm. And how do you support? And I think it's it's fairly basic. It's 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 fairly simple. It's you know checking in how that person is. Like, do they need anything? It's just about sometimes just being a good friend and. The other thing that's really important, I think, is where those relationships are reciprocal, where your story is seen and my story is seen. And what we do is there's two pieces of this this experience, which which you talk to in this beautiful way, which is there's the ins and outs of my particular story as a childless person, but overarching that is the story of what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. And so as a parent or as somebody who hasn't experienced involuntary childlessness, you might not understand the ins and outs of of my story, but you will understand the human experience of what it means to to suffer or what it means to experience loss or what it means to love. Like some of those core human experiences, that's the ground that we have in common mm-hmm. where we can find connection. And so how beautiful that is to be able to go, well, you know, I'm not going to completely understand your story, but I can connect in terms of these feelings and emotions and, and what's happening for you and being able to to connect with each other in that way. On a human level. I mean, it's yeah. so basic. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? <laughs> and, yeah. I always say it's not rocket science. None of this is rocket science. <laughs> Most yeah. of life is not rocket science. <laughs> yeah. A lot of it is just fueled by ignorance. It's fueled right. by a lack of curiosity, a lack of, oh, I didn't think to ask the question of what was happening for my great auntie and what that must have been like for her. Yeah. But I mean, not even that though, but from, I'm still thinking from her side, she probably, like I said, she probably wanted to reach out to you. Maybe you didn't feel comfortable reaching out to her because if it's anything like me, our generation, we're we're afraid to maybe ask certain questions of our elders. I think that's kind of what it's you true. were saying. And yeah. so we're afraid to ask and we wish yeah. we could. And, and we have some people who would, they will just ask the question, but most of us won't or can't. <laughs> And so the question never gets asked. And then the, the yeah. person on the other end is just like, wow, I just, I can't, I cannot talk about this. It's worked for me all my life and I'm not going to yeah. start now. And it's also that thing, isn't it? Where, and so for me, my great aunt passed away when I was still in my very early teens. So it was kind of like, you don't know the questions that you needed to right. ask at that point, right? Like right. you, um, you know, it's not till decades later that you go, oh, I would have loved to have had a conversation with her about that, but you know, it's, it's too late. And and that's yeah. fine, but life goes on. But I think, and you know, my condolences on your loss because loss Thank is you. lost no matter how long ago it was or, you know, how short the time we all deal with it in different ways. And same with the childlessness, as you kind of mentioned earlier, the, the woman who made the decision not to have children, we have to respect her decision as well as the decision or the feelings of the woman who wanted children but could not have them. We all deserve to be seen, as you've said, and that's on a basic human level. And I think that's what, at least in part, my work as a podcaster 
to and for and about the childless not by choice community is I always say I want to get the word out, but the word is that we are not going to be hiding in plain sight anymore. We do exist. I don't know if they have M&Ms over there, but there was an M&Ms commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen the M&Ms commercial where someone says they do exist? (laughs) Oh, I haven't seen that, but that sounds like a hoot. (laughs) It's it's funny. But yeah, yeah, we we do exist as childless, not by choice women and men. And yeah. we need to get that word out and globally because there are people who are suffering in certain parts of the world just because they did not have children. Yes. And so that's that's a biggie for me. I you know, there are certain countries and I, I talked about this on a podcast that I listened to. It's a podcast for podcasters, and every month he has a question of the month and he asked, I can't remember the question in full, but He said something like, as a podcaster, does it matter to you if you're known by everyone, basically, or if no one really knows your name or you're still special, basically? I can't come up with everything he said. My message was that I don't have the hundreds of thousands of downloads of somebody like Joe Rogan, but I have enough downloads to know I'm making a difference because when I first started, the number of downloads I got in a month, I now get in a day. And it wasn't bragging. It's just that I must be getting the word out. People must be listening and and the downloads are proving that. And that's what's making me excited when I hear from people around the world that the podcast has helped them. That's a big deal because we all on the Childless Not By Choice platform are getting the word out. We eventually, maybe I am a glass half full person. I believe that there will come a time when we will be respected. Yeah. And listened to and heard. And we just have to show up at the table. I think it was Jody Day that said it, maybe, that we have to find our place at the table and show up and make our presence known, not in a vile or crazy way, but as a human way, as human beings. And so that's what my work is. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I'd say a couple of things to that, because one of the things is that this topic and what you're working on and what I'm working on, and I'm similar because I don't, for example, my mailing list is, you know, it's not in the the thousands or the hundreds of thousands, but the topic itself is such a sticky topic and it's such a deeply personal and important and powerful topic that, you know, if your podcast or if my work changes or, you know, influences one person's experience, that's one person in the world who's able to do a little bit better. And and literally, like I have to say that I experience that every time I do a, a therapy session is it's extremely common for women to come in. And the reason they've chosen to work with me is because I'm public about my story. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just that, obviously, I'm also of my experience as well as a therapist. But one of the things that is consistently said to me is that for so many of those women, it's the first time they've actually had a conversation with another involuntary childless woman. And it's like women come in and they're carrying this tremendously heavy burden of the shame, the sadness, and often over the course of therapy. So what I see for and what I do in that first session is I am absolutely deliberately looking for that person's light. I'm looking for what is in that person that I can see that they can't yet see. And then therapy is like we have this process of when they get to the point where they can see it for themselves and you can just see the shedding and the, and it's not like the grief is resolved and packed up and it's easily packaged and, you know, put away. It's more like there's just this lightness where the person's able to feel a sense of 
confidence and a level of competence that, that yeah, this is going to oscillate between the grief and, you know, the future restoration and what does life look like for me in the future. And it's going to be this back and forward oscillation process. But within me, I feel like I'm building this set of skills and competence in being able to navigate this and being able to see that shift and transformation. And look, if I only ever had to work with one human being and see that transformation, I feel completely blessed Mm -hmm. just to see it once. But I see it on this fairly consistent basis with women and it just is it's such an honour, mm-hmm. such an honour to be able to share that space and see that shift. And then what I will often try and do is then say, hey, here's a whole bunch of other women out there. There's some resources. Let's connect you in with a community of other women who can be potential friends and connect into the future and support you so that you've gone from this sense of isolation and struggle into, oh, this is what it means to be whole and to be human and all these other parts of myself that I've really struggled with. I invite them in and I I offer them a space at my table so that I can actually embrace the whole of myself and how do I come into that sense of connection with myself and then gradually start to build that with others in my life and how powerful that is. It can be isolating because it's so easy to think and it doesn't make any sense because there are 7 billion people on the planet, but you still think it's only happening to you. And that's why community is so important. I just love, I love community. And I believe we should all have, you know, as we talked about Donna Ward, that episode, it's important to have friends, but it's really important to have friends who are childless, not by choice. And that's where the community comes in. Yeah. And and what that is, is that is, it's kind of honoring different types of knowledge. So what it is, is it's, you know, somebody could sit there as a researcher and, and pull all the research out and from a, third person external perspective go, oh, well, you know, I know all these stats and I know this data, I know this information about what it means to be childless. But it's when you're able to have maybe that conversation of I was up at three o'clock in the morning because, you know, my grief has really thrown out my sleep patterns and I'm really struggling with this sorrow. And it may have been going on for a long period of time. And to have another woman that says, yeah, me too. I've, Mm -hmm. I've been through that. I experienced that. It's so powerful to have our experience and our story validated and because that's the mechanism of shame, isn't it? Shame is about isolation. It's about silencing. (laughs) It sure is. (laughs) And our power comes in reconnecting with each other. Yeah. That's very true. Well, as we wind our time down here, I just have a a couple more questions. I think you mentioned in our pre-conversation, basically, that you are a person of faith. And I just wondered how that plays into your childlessness and how it plays into your counseling? That's such a good question. I was raised in what would be for you the Episcopalian Christian Mm. tradition. And I grew up in a church community. We'd go to church every Sunday. We had a like a church orchestra where we'd all play music. So Christianity for me was not just the faith system. It was actually also that connection and that community. And what happened for me was that there were a lot of adults that I knew from that time who have kind of been like the adult in my life, who were kind of like the, like the pillars of the community that I grew up in. And 
there was something really powerful about that. I'm not currently a practicing Christian and it's really interesting around Christianity because when we when we say Christian, obviously, you know, that's incredibly diverse as well. There's so many different ways that people practice their faith. And what I find certainly for many of the women I work with is that that sometimes people can have a sense of a really specific religion or specific tradition or they, they may have a broader sense of spirituality or being connected to something bigger. And I guess like so many women as well can really have a real crisis of faith, particularly when a religion has been presented in a very pronatalist kind of way. And I know that there's others who've, who've spoken to this in a really generous way around Christianity and, you know, that there's so many of the women in the Bible who were childless, I think most of them were given like a miracle miracle mm-hmm. baby. And there's not very many examples of women who, who clearly led really generative lives and had really important community roles who who didn't have children. But one of the things that has happened for me recently is I have reconnected a little bit, essentially through my mother, because my mother's still practicing. I've connected a little bit with her faith community and, and a couple of the priests in her church have this beautiful podcast called On The Way Podcast. And what I really love about it, and I would give a warning in that people who talk in that are parents. I'm not sure of their parenting status of all of them, but certainly a couple of them do mention their relationship with their children. But what they've kind of done is they've taken their Christianity and they've really interpreted it in really in terms of some interfaith, looking at this is what's in our Christian tradition, but also what is in other traditions, whether it's philosophy or whether it's other religious or spiritual traditions or literature. And they've really kind of found ways of really bringing their Christian faith to life. And one of the episodes I listened to recently was talking about that the essence of faith, the essence of life really is is not about having a definite answer, but it's actually about that idea of Rilke's idea of asking and then living through questions and that for them, the centre of their faith can be a tension between conflicting opposites. So, for example, they talked about that faith coexists with doubt and that it's the tension between faith and doubt. It's living that tension and, and unpacking and understanding that tension can be a really important way that they bring their faith to life. And, you know, there's other things within that experience. So, they talk about, you know, that life exists in tension with with death and that the two of them in relationship to each other give each other meaning and that it's not one or the other that actually is the answer, but it's the dialogue between the two that's really powerful. And I think it's similar to other parts of our lived experience is how do we What's the dialogue that we have between grief and loss and life and living a fulfilled life? And it's actually the tension between those two, which is the essence of our childless experience. And there's often this thinking that what you have to do with the grief is you have to grieve, you have to let go, and you just put that behind you, and then you get on with living the happy, fulfilled life. Whereas what actually happens is that often the two kind of coexist. And so it's out of the process of tending to the emotions that come up through your grief, that you become quite transformed, which then feeds into the life then that you live moving forward. And so, it's how do you hold those two kind of opposites that sit within tension of each other and how do you live with that dialogue? And I guess that's been really powerful for me to to revisit some of those teachings. And I have to say, I find some of the Christian teachings really confronting. And I mean confronting in terms of the challenge that it asks of me personally to live my value and Mm -hmm. to live my faith. So, there's incredible generosity and humility that's asked of us. 
within the Christian tradition that I, I think is it's it's an ongoing it's isn't it it's it's an ongoing you're learning how does how does that land for you as well I I, I yeah. agree when you say confronting I I totally understood what you meant <laughs> totally yeah. got it but for those who may not get it I believe what I heard and and in my case as well my personal relationship with God He asks you to do some really difficult things sometimes. And that's how he wants us to live. You know, love those who don't love us. If someone asks for your coat, give them your tunic. (laughs) So in our, in our day, it would be if they ask for your coat, you give them the sweater as well. And, and it may not always be literal, but the basics of it is it's not always easy. Sometimes you may have to interact with people you'd prefer not to, Mm. and you have to interact with them in a Christian and positive way. Mm. And it may not even end well as far as how they respond to you, but you still have to have the right attitude towards them. Hmm. Some of us don't have the personality to lend towards <laughs> towards hmm. that all the time, not all the time hmm. anyway. Hmm. And so it's a journey. Let me put it yeah. that way. Yeah. It, it never, it, we're never perfect. We're just yes. being perfected. That's so true. And That's so true. And one of the episodes, which I, there's a couple of episodes that really talk to the self-love and the shame experience of childlessness. And one of the episodes they talked about the commandment, which is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing they said is the problem in today's world is a lot of people are loving their neighbors as they love themselves because they're not actually seeing the instruction of self-love. Mm-hmm. And they're not seeing that that actually that's an instruction that you actually need to do a reckoning on your relationship with yourself and how you tend to and care for yourself and set boundaries. And and, and so th- that was one of the first times that I'd really heard priests talking about that particular topic. And then they talked about that our job in the world is actually to be 100% ourselves and for for me to do Sarah and for you to do Sevilla and for us to be deeply authentic in terms of the truth of who we are. And they talked about, you know, the, the probability of us existing at this time on the planet as who we are and it's unbelievable, like it's odds, it's one in the in the trillions. It's, it's this incredibly, they've actually crunched the, the uh, probability on it. It's something like one in 16 with, you know, 16 zeros or something. It's just this number that we couldn't possibly conceive. And so what they talked about is they said, you don't need to go looking for miracles. You actually are the miracle. The fact of you existing as a human being at this point in time, floating through the universe, the fact of us existing is incredibly remarkable. And I guess what my experience around being childless was that I went through this deep, deep, deep dark night of the soul and I got to the end of it and it just burnt out. It completely burnt through a whole lot of expectations, a whole lot of beliefs, things that I thought about my life and and what I thought about the world and the way the world is. And it was kind of like I'd been through this tsunami and I washed up on this shore and I was completely spent. But then it was just like, but I'm still here. Mm -hmm. Like I'm still in this life. I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. What do I do now? What do I do with that? Like that then becomes the next question. You just Mm -hmm. go, what do you do with that? And then it's the living through that question. It's really interesting because there's this this thing within Indigenous wisdoms, which is around there's knowledge that can be protected knowledge. And my understanding is that one of the reasons that knowledge can be protected is that we need to get to a level of awareness and transformation for us to really understand some of those deeper layers of understanding and knowledge and what it means to be human. 
And it's interesting that you mentioned about the giving of the tunic because Mm -hmm. one of the things that I've been listening to lately has been around our culture's relationship with material possessions and objects and that that some cultures, like particularly some of the traditional Indigenous cultures, um, and look, I'm not idealising this, but it's it's just a different way of seeing, is that material possessions are actually a shared thing. And so that if I have, for example, a pouch of tobacco and someone comes to me and asks for a cigarette, it's not disrespectful for them to ask me. It's disrespectful for me to not give it in that this is actually not mine. This is I'm a custodian of this and it's shared with with everybody in the community. And so it just, it really makes me think about how do we show respect? You know, what does it mean to be human and what does it mean to be in the world? And, you know, to really kind of explore some of those deeper questions. For me, it feels like a very rich, ongoing conversation to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, as we close out, I wanted to give you, included in this question, a final word to the listener as to and I have your your contact information in the show notes, but I also want them to know that you did mention that you have ongoing counseling work that you do with women towards the end of their fertility journey, which I thought was also very interesting because mm. I never thought about it as they go to the end of their, which makes sense. Not everybody has a successful IVF and they're going to come to a point where they make the decision not to continue. So they're now at the end of their fertility journey and you counsel these women. So I just wondered as we close out here, if you could talk a little bit to that and just let the listener know how they can find you, the best way to find you. And any any words that you'd like, any words of wisdom that you'd like to give to us? I guess I wanted to kind of tie up the conversation we had about having a public voice and reaching out. And I think one of the things that's that's really powerful in the lived experience of being involuntary childless, but then also meeting other women who are involuntary childless, is that we know and understand on a really visceral gut level what we need to overcome in order to reach out and have that public voice. And I guess the thing I love about meeting other childless women is that I I get that chance to really see that and to really honour that in each other. And I know even within my counselling work is that it can actually be really hard for women even to reach out and talk with with a counsellor and talk with somebody. Because often what I find is, and particularly coming into the end of a fertility journey, is that this is it's really often for many women, it's really big news that can take quite a bit of time to digest emotionally and process on lots of different levels. And there's lots of different layers. And certainly for so many women, there's so many different pathways into the ending of their fertility journey and realizing that this isn't going to happen. And one of the things that I really notice for women, particularly during those fertile years, is that the focus can be so much on the physical and the conception and having the baby or even having the opportunity to try is that sometimes women can focus so much on that. But one of the things when I look back on my own story and journey is that I honestly think that about 90% of the fertility journey is about the head game, is about managing your psychological well-being. And so the work that I do with women is very much about, irregardless of where this journey lands, whatever the outcome is for you, let's really focus on your psychological well-being and ensuring that you land in the best place you can, irregardless of whether you conceive or don't conceive. And then it's that journey where one of the really big struggles, of course, with infertility is the whole uncertainty of it. And during those fertile years, and lots of women will dance with things like, if I stop, how do I know that, you know, in 10 years time that I won't regret this? 
they're really important questions to sit with and to live with and to dig into. And it's one of those questions that, you know, there may not be an immediate answer to that. This, this is about a process of living through that question. And so a lot of the work I do is, is about supporting women to find their own answers, to develop their own expertise and to expand their expertise in their own story, in their own journey, and to build a sense of competence. And I, I think restoring a sense of sovereignty and agency in their life. And by that, I don't mean by avoiding vulnerability. It's actually about how do I learn to be comfortable with being vulnerable and realizing that, that that's my invitation into a really wholehearted space. So that's certainly where I really focus on in terms of the work that I'm doing. And yeah, you can, you can connect with me through my, through my website or there's a few other links that we'll include in the show notes. But whether it's me or whether it's other women, one of the things that's really important when you're reaching out to a therapist, the most important thing is your sense of connection. Is this somebody who I connect with, who I feel confident can hold the space for, for my story and to really listen to your, you know, your intuitive wisdom on that. And there's more and more women who are coming into the space who are lived experience therapists who are offering to work with other women. I guess I just really encourage you to reach out for support and what it is that you need to move forward. Okay. Well, your information is in the show notes, your contact information. And as I always tell the listeners, go with your gut when it comes to the medical community and the therapy community. If, if you're not feeling it, find someone else, get a second opinion, whatever you need to do. I always say that. So this is perfect that you just said that as well. <laughs> and, really smart. Um, yeah, yeah. Very, very important. Yeah. Very important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And knowing that, that you know, like some of the work that I do with women is is going back and reclaiming their younger selves. So it might be that they've made decisions at different points in their journey and, and you know, 10, 15 years later, they're carrying like a real sense of regret or a sense of... And so some of the work that, that we do therapeutically is how do we reconnect you with those parts of yourself, those parts of yourself that you're feeling a sense of shame or anger or how do we go back and bring those into the wholeness of who you are now and come to a place of harmony or peace with your own story and to own your whole story and how to support you to do that. It's really a process. It's not a easy solution. But, it's, not, uh, it's not overnight at all. Yeah. I really appreciate your time today, Sarah Roberts. Thank you so much for saying yes. And this is the perfect episode for the beginning of a new year. So this is the January episode and I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so very much. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.